Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss local political hot topics in the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We are your hosts, Dominique Labonte and Tim Hannafin. And we are recording this episode of NV Politics on February 1st, 2023. So let's get into it. All right. Today, we've got one topic, education. Here we are. We chatted uh, very briefly about it on our last episode around the budget and some potential raises. But we have the Las Vegas Sun and also it looks like, um, is it the Nevada Independent? Uh, yeah. Recently shared some posts around some pre-filed education-related bills. And so we're just going to take a moment to review a couple of these. There are many. We've just got a handful so that we can walk through what these would mean for our state's education system, um, whether it's great, whether it's not so great, and we're going to break it down. So you want to jump into the first one, Tim, with uh, class sizes. Well, I mean, when we look at class sizes, at least the first thing that I wanted to talk about here was the line from the NVND where we had Representative De Silva, who's an assemblyman out of Clark County, and he specifically spoke on how he had class sizes of 40 students, and he's an elementary school teacher. Wow. That means that he's, you know, and in the article specifically, he said how he had to have three students sit at his own desk and other students share their desk just simply to, you know, have enough seats because he was trying to fit everyone into his class. That alone, when you think about it, that's, it's not necessarily going to work. And he's coming out of Clark County, which is the fifth largest school district in the entire nation. Mm-hmm. It could be a ballooning district. There could be a lot of students there. But then when you even look at some of the class sizes and the stories that you have out of teachers in northern Nevada, we're talking 25, 30 students in their classes. That's cutting down on their overall ability to work with their teachers greatly. We do have a couple BDRs going through our legislature right now in regards to this. There's the one from the Department of Education, which is 34-276 or Assembly Bill 42, which is an, an attempt to reduce class sizes. And then you also have Assembly uh, Assembly Lady LaRue Hatch, who is claiming to put forward a BDR also trying to reduce class sizes. I couldn't necessarily find this one. It might be 34-570. It might be a different one under her name, but she was at least also stating that she was putting one forward. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about these um, BDRs that are being filed specifically around class size student teacher ratio is this one that we're talking about right now. The petition is essentially requesting to go from a 16 to one ratio to a 20, let's say 20 to one ratio, right? If we're just talking uh, K through second grade, when we're looking at grades four to six, they're wanting to go up to a 25 to one ratio. And for seventh grade to 12th grade, we're looking at a 30 to one ratio. Now, what is interesting about that is what you just said, Tim, is 
the fact that the class sizes are way larger than what these new ratios are even being requested. Uh, the existing law, it does allow for districts to get variances, which allow a, a district to uh, be flexible in their ratios. Um, and for 2023, 94% of the Clark County School District elementary schools sought a variance because to your point, their class sizes are just too large. So I don't know what this is going to result in or if it's even effective. Clearly it's trying to solve a problem that is not getting at the root of the actual issue. Well, and I mean, to that point, we have to remember that when it comes to the BDRs in our state legislature, there are easily thousands that have been put forward. One of them, 34-439, also, also known as Senate Bill 71, this one comes from the Senate Committee on Education, and it's specifically to create a proficiency task force on retention and uh, recruiting of teacher staff. So they're also trying to solve some of the problem of not having enough teachers to, right. you know, teach all their pupils that are coming to these schools. So there are other bills to solve the other side of the coin, but, you know, we also have to try and set targets to at least, to at least meet them. Yeah. And in the meantime, try to address the issue, which is yeah. we're understaffed, period, uh -huh. when it comes to education. Uh, and obviously there have been a lot of funding limitations as well. So... That is obviously the, the root of the issue, and it looks like they're just trying to have some uh, temporary solution in place so that they could at least uh, offer a decent class size, but th these are almost twice of what is realistic, I think. It's a band-aid to start moving towards the solution, but yeah. we'll see how far it gets. Agreed. Okay, so this next one that was proposed is for hybrid school boards. And so ultimately what this hybrid system would do is allow for both elected and politically appointed members onto school boards within Nevada. So for an example, the Clark County School District that would mean they have 11 members and seven might be elected and four would be appointed. Uh, so with this, this has actually been uh, previously considered, but it has not passed in this state. And from my understanding, and Tim, please add more color here if, uh, if I'm missing anything, this would ultimately support for better representation in other Nevada counties for the school boards. Well, um, just real quick, I, I do actually want to clarify. It yeah, wasn't something that was debated before. It was a BDR request that was put in by the former lieutenant governor, who, the, with how our state legislature works, prior offices, even if, they're, even if they don't win re-election, get a certain amount of BDR requests that they can put in and yes. put in bill requests. So this was a BDR that was put in by the former lieutenant governor and was picked up by the Committee on Education. I don't know, uh, it would be the Senate Committee on Education. And they picked it up as the carrier of her BDR as she can't submit that anymore. So that's right. just a little bit of a, a functional thing there. Yeah. And 
it would essentially give a little bit more kind of power to some of the rules, but then at the same time, it might give more overall education power to Clark County. Going back to our prior statement of Clark County being such a large school district, them having 11 overall trustees might be a little bit more power than they need when you're comparing the other 15 rural Nevada counties would get sure. one. Mm-hmm. And they're getting, you know, four appointees. So it, they're still, it, it gives the rural counties some more weight. It gives them some more power. But Clark County is such a large school district that they draw so much, I just want to say resources. It's it's yeah. hard to really say how this might benefit or harm other school districts. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good point. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. Um, the other... BDR is around school board candidate requirement, which is ultimately going to require background checks and training for school board candidates. So not waiting till they um, officially become school board members, but this is would be potential candidates uh, making sure that they pass background checks. Uh, in order to even be able to serve. So this would weed out, you know, any any pending issues that you might run into. I was surprised that this art isn't already in place, if I'm honest. I'm trying to look up who actually sponsored this right now. Or Oh, hmm. never mind, never mind. It, cl- it came out of Clark County School District. I have, I have that in my notes. Because to me, although this sounds like a very, very good idea, I know where it comes from and that's where it's concerning me because there are so many school board candidates that were being run, not necessarily in Clark County, or at least to my knowledge, could have been run down there, but especially in Washoe County that might not have met some of these security requirements or might not have, you know, met some of these requirements for actually running for the board with this coming from Clark County school district it might only be pertaining specifically to them. So it might just be a result of some of their candidates being run down there who are a little bit more extreme and wouldn't meet this. But sure. it, it might rile up the other side in a bad way. I I'm I really want to know more of the motivations, and I'm very interested to hear a lot of the hearings and at least the Clark County School District's presentation on the bill and what they have to say about why they brought this forward before we can really know what they're kind of getting at. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, ultimately it's saying that they are ultimately wanting to submit fingerprints, get an FBI criminal background check, and then the training that they would have to complete again, prior to even really becoming a candidate, uh, they would need to complete six hours of a state approved training that covers public education and school board related statutes, public records, open meeting laws, laws related to employment and contracts, local government ethics and employee management relations. So it kind of goes on and on. There's quite a few things there, but I think you make a really great point. It, potentially, maybe they're getting candidates who just don't have the proper experience and qualifications. So that could be hitting on that altogether as well. I hear that list and I immediately think of a lot of candidates that came out of Washoe like, oh, uh, mm, scary. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right. And then the only one other one that I had on here, Tim, and you're more than welcome to jump in with anything additional, was a mention. Uh, and this is this is not a BDR, by the way. We're moving on from the BDRs. This is now continuing discussion around education, but this is specifically regarding funding for mental health professionals in Nevada schools. So according to this article, which was found on CarsonNow.org, uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, she had announced that Nevada State College is going to be receiving basically $1.2 million dollars to train school counselors, social workers, psychologists, and other mental health professionals to provide school-based mental health services in Nevada. So apparently these were these funds were acquired through a bipartisan Safer Communities Act that was actually signed last year into law. Um, so, I mean, it, it sounds good. Ultimately, I would love to hear something more specific I mean, what kind of training is it exactly that they're going to be receiving? Um, what specific intentions do they have for the impact? You know, like what brought this on? And is there a specific area that we're seeing in the state of Nevada around mental health in our students that we're trying to address. So I would like to see a little bit more clarity around those things. But again, overall, like I said, from the outside, it sounds great. Um, yeah. I think, you know, overcoming mental health stigma is really important. And being able to offer resources is incredible. So that's, I guess, my current take. Well, and I think to answer one of your large questions of where the best the specifics behind it, look at the source that this is coming from. It's coming from a press release from Senator Cortez Masto's office, which right. however great we love what our Senator might be doing or, or not doing, or, you know, whichever side of the spectrum you're on there, it, it's a press release from a Senator. They're all going to be very vague and kind of just like, Oh, I, I got this for you. And I actually do want to dig into some of those specifics, but first with the, the Nevada state college, I love that it's getting funding to train, you know, mental health workers and get these social workers trained and ready to enter the workforce. But this is a school that's based out of Southern Nevada. This is a school that's based out of Vegas. And I have heard stories of graduates from USC getting hired on in Fernley for mental health services because the benefits that were being offered were so great and they're so strapped out there. But at the same time, how willing are these people who grew, who might have grown up or at least used to a metropolitan Vegas area be willing to go to, you know, White Pine, Nevada to support mental health services? And that kind of leads into the point of the specifics of what we do have. 1.5 million for Washoe, about 1 million for Churchill County to up their mental health services. But there are no mentions of any of the other counties. There are 15 other rural counties in the state of Nevada. Mm -hmm. How much money is going to be going to them? We're giving the funding to two of the most populated areas, but some of the largest mental health issues exist in rural counties. Some of the largest, uh, you know, patient to doctor ratios exist out there. Not saying that their problems are worse, but at least their access is much worse. We need to be at least working for them, 
yes, these might be the areas where the schools are, but let's get some funding to build the the facilities for these people to go when they're done being trained. Let's give them a triple A facility out in, you know, Fallon so that when they graduate from Nevada State College, they don't want, they actually want to go out to Fallon and they don't want to say, well, I don't want to go to Fallon. I could go to San Francisco or San Diego or somewhere, somewhere better. So that's at least some of my concerns is that it focuses on the large while neglecting the small. Yeah. And also... How far does, you know, 1.2, 1.5 million actually get when we're talking about some of these services, right? Any health-related costs are, are going to be evaporated quickly, I, I will say. So, yeah. yeah, interested to see how that all plays out and where it actually goes. Any yeah, other education-related topics that you want to make sure that we mention? Well, Any honorable mentions before we get to our final segment? On that point, at least one that kind of stuck out to me as I really hope it gets somewhere, and it looks like it might, and I, I just think that we should at least be following it, even though it's not from one of our own representatives. Assembly person Mosca. I, I do apologize if I pronounced that wrong, but they have BDR 34-524, which is specifically around governing the access of transcripts for higher education facilities, saying if you still owe money or you have fines or you have active charges on a Nevada State higher education account, you could still get access to your transcripts and other important documents, say for reapplying for colleges, getting transfers, things like this. Mm -hmm. This is currently not a provision in our state right now. I think it'd be huge and it'd be great for kind of reinvigorating the workforce overall. We have a ton of people who might not be able to get into the workforce or get training simply because they can't access old transcripts or they've got years and years of school that they simply can't even touch because, oh, I owe the university a $100 parking fine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a fun shout out of like, hey, let's follow that. Let's hope that we can get our transcripts. No, that's a great point. I actually, one of the colleges that I went to in my youth, uh, it actually closed. And to get a copy of my transcripts was a whole ordeal. And so it's good to see that there are legislators considering this and trying yeah. to find routes to make this easier for students or anybody who wants to pull up their, their prior records. Why not? Yeah. And a, a really good close on our overall education topic is just the fact that we do want to draw in some experts and possibly even some of our representatives in the future to talk on this. We've got five representatives in our assembly right now that are former or current educators. Yes. That's huge. And they're adding to the plethora of them that already are. So these are five freshman people adding to the huge amount of teachers that are already there, all under the quote of teachers aren't represented enough and they're getting really mad. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm yeah. glad. Oh yeah. Uh, and we'll continue to support them and, uh, also, try to continue to understand how how we can move forward on some of this work that they're they're working on. So, with that, we're going to wrap it up. We have a segment that is called "What Broke Your Brain This Week," and so we're going to go ahead and 
finish out today's podcast by talking about some random thing that occurred over this past week or we discovered that just kind of broke our brain a little bit. Tim, do you want to kick us off? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. So I was introduced, I, I won't be shameless here. I was introduced to this segment very, very recently today. <laughs> so I was scrambling for it and I read this immediately and my brain hurt because of all the implications that I heard. But baseball commissioner and Governor Lombardo discussed potentials A's movement to Las Vegas. Now, there are a lot of different highlights that I can talk about in this article, but the biggest one that just stands out to me that I think of is I immediately think back to the Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders and how despite the promise of there being little to no burden on the Amer on the Nevada taxpayer and on the Nevada government to build this stadium and pull the Raiders to our state, everything I've heard and everything I've read says the exact opposite of that. <laughs> and there's a $500 million hole in a budget somewhere in last, in the last couple governments in a certain area, <laughs> education, that, you know, might, may or may not gone to that stadium. Mm. And my only thought is that when Lombardo, yeah, when Lombardo specifically says he won't support a tax increase to pay for this stadium, but then the Oakland A's specifically say, well, we've got two options and it's Vegas and Oakland and their window for Oakland is rapidly closing. They kind of only have an option to get to Vegas. And I, I'm afraid of where that money will come from if we're really trying to scramble to get them there. Yeah, hopefully not that surplus that we alluded to on our last episode. <laughs> yes, and, and that, that's my fear. That's why my brain hurts and just about everything hurts because, you know, one side of the government was Ill, willing to take from a surplus like that. So who knows what the other side will be willing to do. Yeah, that is a brain breaker. Mine was the Florida school book bans and how there's been some talk about this happening. Apparently this was actually uh, passed, I think in a, a previous session and now it's going into effect and educators basically have to ensure that they don't have banned books within their classrooms. And if they do, if one is found, they could potentially face five years uh, in prison for a felony, a felony charge if a banned book is found within their classroom. And this, this really got me. This was, wow, how is this happening right now? I cannot imagine how this is actually constitutional. I cannot help but be nervous for what other doors this could open or ideas it could give to other states. It, Tim, you're ready. Uh, it's, is it breaking your brain too? Bring well, it. Well, so <laughs> I, I like how immediately you went to the policy part of it <laughs> because me being slightly younger... I remember how brutally horrible children are. And I know for a fact that there would be some classrooms that kids would target to try and bring books into specifically to get teachers in trouble. I did think and, that as well, yeah. And that, that's one of my bigger concerns of just thinking, you know, from like a teacher standpoint, I don't want to have to be... Up. 
yeah, I don't want to have to be policing my classroom yeah. for this. This is, this is absurd. Like if a student wants to read a book that's banned, that's on them. I shouldn't, I should just not be allowed to teach it, but mm-hmm. I shouldn't also have to police what's in my students' backpacks, if you will. And that's why you're seeing videos being posted of teachers just pulling all books, right? Let's not set myself up to be implicated here. And uh, they're just posting videos of their bare bookshelves because I think they're scared. And we already have a problem retaining educators. Why would we put this on them? So that broke my brain this week. Uh, That'll wrap up that segment. And with that, let's wrap up this episode. So Nevadans, that's it. That's all I got. Tim, do you have anything else? I'm excited for part two only because I want to know what happens with our, our, our legislature. I want to know what they do moving forward, but we can only know what time, time will tell. It starts soon. It, it's the calm before the storm. Thank you, Tim. You have Thank a great you. one. Thank and you, everybody else, have a great week. Yeah, have a good one.